I want to start with a joke and to preface it by saying there's not anything in this joke that is believed by the one telling it. How do you like that? There were three couples that died on the same day. A New England Episcopal couple, an Irish Catholic couple, and a Southern Baptist couple. And they all arrived at the pearly gates, and St. Peter met them there. St. Peter called the New England Episcopal couple to come forward, and he said to the husband, tell me, why is it you should be permitted into heaven? And he said to St. Peter, I go to church every week. I give to organizations that help the needy, and I support my church financially. And St. Peter said, and what is your wife's name? And he said, Penny. Penny, St. Peter said. Penny? Your wife's name is Penny? You Episcopalians are all alike. Money, money, money. That's all you think about. Off with you. You're doomed to hell. So the next couple is summoned forward by St. Peter. And St. Peter says to the Irish Catholic, tell me, why is it you should be permitted into heaven? And the man says, well, I go to Mass every week. And I give to organizations that support the needy. And I give to my church. And St. Peter says, and what is your wife's name? He says, Brandy. <laughs> Brandy, St. Peter says. Brandy? You Catholics are all alike. Drink, drink, drink. That's all you care about. Your wife's even named after a drink. Off with you. You're doomed to hell. Well, at that, the Southern Baptist man turns to his wife and says, Fanny, I think we're in trouble. What will the end times be like? Well, how will we be judged? We spend a lot of time thinking about this. And there's a lot of instruction in our scriptures about it. How it is that we are to act and how it is we are to carry on our lives as followers of Jesus. That's what we turn to the scriptures to give us guidance for. We need help to know what it means to be a follower of Christ and how to live that in the world. And Jesus is teaching in Matthew's gospel today. He's teaching on the mountain. This is his sermon on the mount. It's been... It's all of the fifth chapter of Matthew, and we've been working through it over these past few weeks. Last week, we talked about the salt of the earth and the light that should not be hidden. That immediately precedes our reading for today. And before that is the Beatitudes, which we did not read the Sunday before because we were celebrating the Feast of the Presentation in the temple. But you get to see the Beatitudes every single Sunday. You read them right here up behind the altar. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and how it's different than the reality that people live into and how it is that he has come to fulfill the law, not to do away with it, but how it is that through him the law is being fulfilled. Matthew's audience, the audience to which Matthew is telling the good news to, is a Jewish audience. And he knows that those to whom he's speaking know the law. And they understand that the keeping of the law is their way of showing their devotion and their faithfulness to God. Indeed, it was God who gave the law. God gave it to Moses. Moses brought it down off of the mountain in ten simple instructions. And throughout the years, as the Jewish people sought to fulfill living that law, 
they got into greater and greater detail about how to keep it. They started to write in the fine print, this is what you do, this is what you don't do, because keeping the law was a demonstration of their relationship with God, how it is that they showed their faithfulness to God and how it is that God showed God's faithfulness to them. Well, Jesus has come and is speaking to these people on the side of the mountain and is saying to them, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he is coming to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, not to wipe it aside, but to get down to the very radical nature of what it means to be a follower of God and, Jesus is saying, a follower of me. So he uses hyperbole in these laws that we hear in his teaching today. I find it interesting how inclined we are to read them literally because we like the law. We like the law. Even in 21st century New England, we like the law. We read the fine print because we know that's where the difference is made. But Jesus is saying, it actually goes so much deeper, you can't write it. And I have come to bring this to your attention. If you go to make a sacrifice, if you are following the law, and you go to Jerusalem, the place where you make a sacrifice, and upon making that sacrifice, going through the ritual, you remember that you've wronged someone, you need to leave it there and go make amends. Well, for the hearers of this, that would be absurd. You're to abandon the ritual and go back to your hometown, which might be two days away, make amends, and then travel again two days back and pick up the ritual to complete it. But Jesus is showing that the real truth of following the law is to be reconciled to your neighbor, to live in peace with one another. Again, then he tells, if you even look at someone and have lust in your heart, then you should poke your eye out. Well, that's absurd. Jesus is drawing our attention to the fact that we, as people, have trouble often in that we objectify the other. We want to consume one another, or at least put people in a box to the extent that we can discard them. And Jesus says, no, you can't do that. To be in relationship with God, you have to recognize that all that God has created belongs to God, and you have to treat it like that. When he goes on to talk about divorce, we know that not all marriages last. So in his instruction, he's reminding us that we can't get it right. Yet we are to practice how it is that we live in fidelity and in commitment with one another. Throughout this instruction, Jesus is showing us again and again that we can't keep the law. We don't get it right. It will always judge us, even in our best efforts. Right when we get to the end, we'll see that there's a part that we didn't get right. So Jesus has come to tell us that he fulfills the law. He is the one that puts us in right relationship with God. It is through Jesus that we have that relationship established and affirmed and we are to grow in that relationship with God in Jesus Christ. That's the only way to bring about the kingdom. It is in the practicing of the reconciling work of God in Jesus that we learn to be reconciled to one another, that we learn what it means to live in faithfulness because we're doing it in a relationship with Christ. 
in our marriage liturgy, there's a lot of reference to that covenant of what it means to be in relationship with God in Christ. And the way that we talk about it as Christian people is not a new concept because it's throughout the scripture that God talks about his chosen people being his bride and he being the groom. So this is an illustration that we've been building on for all time. But I want to draw your attention to a particular prayer that we pray for those who are being married. Make their life together a sign of Christ's love to this sinful and broken world. That unity may overcome estrangement. Forgiveness heal guilt and joy conquer despair. This is what Christ does for us. It is in Christ that we learn that unity overcomes estrangement. It is in Christ that we learn that forgiveness heals guilt. It is in Christ that we learn that joy conquers despair. And we daily have an opportunity to learn that again and again and to get better living into that new reality, that kingdom reality that Christ calls us into. In our relationships with one another on a daily basis, we have an opportunity to remember and to practice that unity overcomes estrangement, that forgiveness heals guilt, and that joy conquers despair. As kingdom people, as ones called to follow Jesus, we come together to practice this new reality, and we ask for God's help in practicing this reality, so that together, as we get better at it, we might see the kingdom of God made real in our midst. Amen.